0: Welcome to Day Beautiful, I'm Adam Vitkavich and this is a podcast where readers can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check out daybeautiful.net for more author interviews and book recommendations. You can also follow us on social media at Day Beautiful on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Today's guest is a queer Costa Rican American poet and writer. He is a Canto Mundo fellow and an alumnus of the Tin House Summer Writers' Workshop. His prose and poetry have been published in pank the rumpus friction joyland and elsewhere he has lived in washington dc brooklyn and san jose costa rica with his grandmother and four ghosts his debut novel where there was fire is out now please welcome john manuel arias hey how are you doing today
1: i am doing fine um i am a little bit tired but very excited i'm gonna go to costa rica for 24 hours oh, to wow. um bring my grandmother a copy of uh my book. that because is Mother's Day is on the 15th, and I just got the books and I'm not gonna have a chance to travel there again. So I'm like, let me go for 24 hours. JetBlue has a direct yeah. flight and I'm not mad at it. I'm gonna be tired, but I'm not mad.
0: That is amazing. Um yeah, the, the your book. I'll ask you first, then I'll dive into my questions. Uh, What is Where There Was Fire about from your perspective?
1: So Where There Was Fire is about this banana international corporation that is in the midst of a massive cover-up. And one night, its most lucrative banana plantation burns to the ground. And with that plantation, with that fire, goes the future of this family of women and 30 years later, we have a matriarch and her eldest daughter who are estranged. And during this freak hurricane, they have to reconnect in order to build a future together.
0: Yeah. And, and the reason I want to ask that and, and talking about your grandma, like I noticed like very strong women in the book. Uh, I mean, obviously, you just said there's a matriarch. It's, it's about a mother daughter. Um, were women like important to your like upbringing like like, how important were they compared to like I guess men
1: oh absolutely um I was always raised in homes with mostly women um and then when I moved to Costa Rica uh after college I lived with my grandmother and my three great aunts (laughs) uh so you might have seen them in the novel Mm -hmm. uh but collectively it was 300 years of women that I was with every day, and listening to their stories, um, and you know, observing their lives and seeing how they worked, and it was just an incredible amount of admiration, and it allowed me an access into a very specific geographical and generational form of feminism, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're under machismo in Costa Rica. Um, husbands who did what they wanted and just a society that both exalts them uh, very ironically to be the example of the Virgin Mary, right? It's a very caged existence, but also just beating them down, right? Violence mm. against women is not talked about um, in the way that it needs to be talked about. Um, Nemagon, the poison in the novel, whenever there's a narrative about Nemagon, it's sterilized 30,000 men but also the narrative doesn't talk often about the women who were ex- uh, exposed to it and had dozens of miscarriages, uh, cancer, uh, mental um, illnesses that came from being exposed. It was mm. it was pretty awful. And so making the narrative about women was really important to me because I feel like that's what I know yeah. best culturally. Absolutely. That's what I I know who I know and what I know best.
0: Yeah. Um, did you start writing this when you were back in Costa Rica with your relatives or was it before kind of what was the timeline with it?
1: So it's been a very long time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm almost embarrassed to say, um, well, the the first sentences that appear in the novel I wrote in high school. Wow. And so I'm writing the sentences, I'm writing the scene, and it's about uh, a woman whose husband has yet to come home. And this tragedy happens um, and her daughters are there and it started taking on the form of my grandmother and my aunts. Mm-hmm. But there was this, you know, huge reckoning with me a few years in where I had to separate the uh, the family resemblance because I was not writing about my grandmother. I yes. was not writing about my aunts, right? So that took a lot of time through college. And then I moved to Costa Rica to finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like everybody who is going to finish a novel, they don't. <laughs> so it took me many years afterwards. Yeah. So all in all, it took me about eight years. Oh, and yeah. then however many years of finding an agent and then selling it and then editing. And here we are finally
0: we are here finally i think it's one of the most beautiful books i read this year uh maybe oh, in the past few so years much. like you know what is time and like yeah i really connected with the woman in it and uh, oh thank you i yeah and i i feel the same way like my mom i'm very close to now there was like a time when i wasn't and uh i think she's one of the strongest women i know and i just love to see like strong women in books and like you like just encapsulated these people and they were like fully formed characters and i yeah just i just really loved it i want to like shout that out at the beginning for sure so
1: thank you you know i also really wanted it to be important that they were also vulnerable mm. that they weren't these iron women that um that they experience trauma and that the narration talks about it too, because that generation of women are expected to be strong and iron and, uh, prim and proper and graceful, but no, they have suffered in ways that others have haven't suffered. And I thought it was super important to see them at their most vulnerable, um, Mm -hmm. and find the, that real beauty in the way that they navigated through their lives.
0: Yeah. And, and one thing I was curious about was, you know, it starts in the sixties and is become, goes through the nineties. Was that idea of you were going to track this story through time and, and generation and, and, and different moments, always a part of the novel or did that kind of develop as you wrote over those eight years?
1: So the I think the 60s are the like the most uh, lush decade to write about in terms of just political, um, you know, turmoil, revolutions, Mm -hmm. uh, a complete change of thought from a very conservative, you know, early 1900s. So it was really easy to situate it there. And Costa Mm -hmm. Rica was also in a really important place in the 60s as well. And then the 90s, um, I'm not exactly why I chose the 90s. It's also a very, it's like far enough away that it um, seems fun to write about, fun to imagine, um, but not close enough that I was going to get a little bored with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But through time, it's that I don't believe in linear time and I feel like culturally Latin Americans don't believe in linear time (laughs) especially when we tell stories, you know, you've read Marquez, you've read Mm -hmm. uh, Carlos Fuentes and Mario Vargas Llosa and Isabel Allende we jump through time uh, in, because besides culturally, the way that I've always heard stories I believe that we live in time, past present and future at the same moment Mm-hmm. Where our memories are time machines into the past, and our hopes and dreams are time machines into the future, and experiencing in you know, the present, it's all happening at the same moment. So why would my narrative follow some linear idea of time? Yeah, and were you thinking
0: about that, like when you were in high school and wrote those first scenes, or kind of like how did the book change and develop over the course of like almost a decade?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, (laughs) Well, it was also meant, it it was always meant to be nonlinear. And I will say that my book took so much like spiritual inspiration from the god of small things. Mm. And so Arundhati Roy laid out this beautiful architecture and she said, I don't have to uh, abide by linear time we can jump but i'm going to build this novel in such a way that you're going to read it and understand it and so that became a puzzle box right that i found also very fun to solve but in my own way right i'm a poet so arundhati roy was an architect and as a poet i'm an associative poet which means that rather than this through line narrative structure I am using associations to situate the reader, right? So that's why we have the fire, the hot night. That's why we have the hurricane. So mm-hmm. everything went about evolving with my own discovery as an artist mm-hmm. and as a storyteller. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I want to talk about like, yeah, your your path as a storyteller, as an artist. Uh, you are a poet. You have a debut novel out. You... I want to talk just about like the history of you writing and, and art in your life when did you kind of start attempting to to write it like when were you becoming a poet was it when you were five was it later in life
1: no 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 i am somebody who came to writing very late and late by whose standards i don't know mm-hmm. but um the first sort of like little morsel of writing that came into my life that i was good at was actually during ap english in Mm -hmm. high school where you know you had to write those essays and then you were graded on those essays and i would always score highly and people around me were like oh you're a good writer and i go what (laughs) (laughs) i didn't completely love reading i didn't completely love writing and so that was a little signal to me and then the year the summer between high school and college my family took a trip to costa rica And we were at this observatory lodge by the Aranada Volcano. And at the time it was active. So at night it would spit fire and rocks would be falling down the sides and the slopes. And one morning I go to the book swap and I see this gorgeous turquoise color. I love turquoise. Mm -hmm. And I see the turquoise cover. I go to it. I open it. It's about a quote-unquote ugly Jamaican fisherman who gets lost at sea. And he has this spiritual reckoning. And it's about um, neocolonialism in Jamaica in the 60s and the 80s. I read it in three days. And I put it down and I said, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to be a novelist. I want to make somebody feel this way. And here we are, so many years later, went college, <laughs> studied English and Latin American studies. And of course, I'm writing books in English about Latin America, right? <laughs> it's all, it all uh, sort of fell into place. There was yeah. a lot of luck, but a lot of hard work um, and a lot of people in my corner, right? Yeah. So, as an artist, it's really important to have community and also mentors. Uh, so it was not a solitary act.
0: Yeah, I'll get to the mentors and and community in a second, but I do want to ask, like, what your family's support or maybe not support with? I want to be a writer. What was like a, your family? Were they involved in like your art at all? Uh,
1: so I was always kind of a shitty student. Um, and I was I I, I guess the simplest is that I was not on track to become a doctor or a (laughs) lawyer Um, and so the I I was so rebellious that the pressure was kind of off Mm -hmm. of me to excel but that allowed me a lot of room and sort of I'm not going to call it neglect or like you know like spiritual neglect but in that sort of independence, I was allowed to grow in art, which is what I always gravitated towards. And so when I decided to become a writer and I started writing and I started publishing, my family was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Good for you, that's awesome. (laughs) But my grandmother, who is 92 and only speaks Spanish in Costa Rica, has no idea how publishing works. I keep her up to date on every single thing that happens. And so now she knows what an auction is. <laughs> now she knows, you know, uh, she knows about what it is to have first pass pages. And she asks about my agent and my editor and all these things. It's hilarious. That's great.
0: Yeah. And and I love that you're bringing her a copy of the book, uh, is the book, is it, do you have a translation coming out in Spanish as well?
1: I don't. Okay. So apparently the translation market is really difficult right now. Sure. Um, A lot of it is handled through Spain. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, colonization continues. So I guess if the Spanish market isn't completely interested in it, it's harder to translate. And so it's something that I have my fingers crossed definitely yeah, because, so i just love that you're just
0: still giving her a, a book a, like a symbolic book even though she probably oh yeah she still
1: her. knows how to read the dedication it says for tita my first and favorite storyteller <laughs> she, she can get that god <laughs> yeah awesome. i
0: love that i love that and then um transitioning just to, like the idea of community i'm glad you brought that up in mentorship i feel a lot of writing is so insular and i've talked about this on the podcast before with other writers but um like finding community? Like, how did you find yours? Like, were you lucky and you just were in a class and those are your best friends or was it harder? What, what was it like for you?
1: I mean, I, I think community is a verb. It's not a noun. Mm-hmm. It, you have to, you know, my my biggest philosophy as a writer is to support other writers And not only, you know, support the individual, but also their work, and you are a part of a community, then you support those in your community, whether that's queer poets or Latinx novelists, or, you know, um, disabled essayists, whoever it is in your community, or whoever it is in that community, it means that you're having a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And in that conversation, you can lift each other up in a way that is very helpful because we all get to the table together. In fiction, especially, or in, you know, prose, there's this illusion of scarcity Mm -hmm. and it's just the publishing industry and, you know, capitalism um, trying to convince us that there is limited space at the table. There's limited space through the door. And that is a lie, you know? So if we get through the door, if I get through the door, then I hold the door open after me. Right. Yeah. And people have done that for me. Right. A community is this constant. Like I said, it's a verb. You're interacting with everybody around you. You're supporting them and you find real friends. And honestly, before Twitter became so well, before I became X, before Elon Musk bought it and before it became so toxic, Twitter was a very beautiful space to be in. Mm. Right. Because you could see who was publishing in literary magazines. If you're publishing in a literary magazine, you read who else is in the issue and then you support them and then you discover their work. It's just this constant, you know, accumulation of uh, people to support and work to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was very active for me to find yeah. a community.
0: Yeah. I feel they beautiful grew a very similar way where, uh, you know, I had, I was writing freelance for literary outlets. And then when I decided, Oh, I'm just going to do this DIY website that turned into a podcast. I mean, without Twitter, without Instagram, without a community of internet friends, I don't know if it exists as it does today. Uh, because a lot of it was just word of mouth through like debut author to debut author to debut author. And like, And publicist to publicist to publicist, uh, because who would just trust a random person with a website, you know, (laughs) like it it took a while to grow, but I'm glad it did and, and the community that was built around it was really special at the time and still is I love it. Congratulations, Um, because it's really it is a labor of love. Yeah, it's something else like right, like we talked, I don't know if we were already recording. Both of us are. In or around the workplace right now, outside of literature
1: today, this yeah. very moment, and that's
0: just how it is when you're in the literary world. You got to, yeah. you got to find it's time. At nine, can... It's at nine.
1: It's at nine to five. It's at health insurance because Lord knows, exactly. <laughs> Lord exactly. knows. our publishers are not giving us health insurance.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> oh, exactly. We got to go
0: somewhere. <laughs> um Yeah, and then. uh with with the community around you uh family friends loved ones found family what has the response been like to the book like pre-publication like leading up to everything how like have they have a lot of your community read it
1: so i feel very lucky um in that everyone has been really kind Everyone has been so kind and very generous in feedback. And also what I'm very impressed by is Flatiron, my publisher, Mm -hmm. in that they are mailing galleys, advanced readers, copies left and right. And so any Latinx reviewer or any Latinx bookstagrammer or person, people we meet at parties you know I'm with my editor at the Penn Awards and somebody says oh I want to read your book and my editor is there and goes what's your address Mm -hmm. and so it's just getting it to the community who is going to support it and who historically publishers don't even look at or consider you know a publisher would rather send an arc to a bookstagrammer whose address has changed four years ago, then a Latinx uh, mm-hmm. reviewer in their inbox mm-hmm. begging for the book, you know. So Flatiron has been very generous in, in that way, and it's been wonderful. And so the feedback has been really good. I'm really glad it's been finding its way. I think into the right hands. <laughs> yeah, and I this this is probably this is definitely showing my ignorance, but I don't
0: think in recent memory. I've read a book set in Costa Rica. Uh, are there no? Ones... We're super rare. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Am I? Very...
1: Are there we're ones off the top of your rare. head you could recommend? Because I'm trying to even think about. Oh, well, I am reading Finding La Negrita by Natasha Gordon Chimbre. Um, Don't quote me exactly on her name, but I think that's her name. Um, The patron saint of Costa Rica is La Virgen de Los Angeles, and who is also nicknamed uh, very lovingly La Negrita because it's a dark stone statue. Mm. Um, And she wrote a historical novel about it. And then... um, Adi Tyson wrote about two Bribri American, and so Bribri is an indigenous group, an indigenous nation in Costa Rica, about two brothers who live in the Midwest. And it's this gorgeous novel in verse, really incredible. But other than that, books set in Costa Rica are non-existent in the publishing industry.
0: Right. Yeah, I could not, uh, I was thinking last night when I was like uh-uh. just jotting down notes. I was like, I don't,
1: is this because I'm like just dumb or is this non-existent? No, yeah. no, 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 it's non-existent. And so, you know, it's this really intense thing where I think translation is so key to any developing country or a country with a different language in order to, quote unquote, break into a global market. And what does a global market mean? It means in English Mm -hmm. and Costa Rica's really beautiful literary tradition has not been unlocked in that way. And it's incredibly disappointing. But if somebody reads my book and they say, oh, I want to read other Costa Rican authors, they find out about a Costa Rican author, um, for example, or Quince Duncan, and they say, oh, I would love to read a translation of that hopefully it inspires translators Mm -hmm. um, to delve into this very gorgeous, gorgeous literary tradition that outside of Costa Rica is unknown, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that That is fascinating. I think after this conversation, I'm going to take a deep dive into learning more about translation and how it works and the intricacies of it,
1: because I've talked to a it's few people. It's the most difficult. It is the most difficult art form I have tried to translate before. Yeah. I am very bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> even, even if you speak the two languages, it's just mm-hmm. there is such a a subtlety and a nuance and acrobatics when it comes to it. You have to be masterful in both. And it's very hard, even if you speak the two, it's very hard to be masterful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I am going to, I think that's definitely a goal of mine for next year with Day Beautiful is like looking at more books in translation. Uh, There's been a few, awesome. it's it's not, it's usually, and I think, and maybe this goes along with like the American publishing, only certain books in translation get that elevated publicity
1: by oh, it's american true.
0: publicist and so it's Absolutely. like it's, it's work for readers to find good books almost that are being like yeah i mean that's across the board but i think even more so with books and translation but
1: yeah um who does uh, the publishers who do really good translations um are fsg mm. um new directions and i think grove atlantic I think those three, like their taste is fantastic um, and the translators that they get uh, is really great. There's a translation of Marcial Gala's Call Me Cassandra Mm -hmm. that came out last year. The most underrated book of 2022 and it was so, so well done. The translation was really wonderful and it showed Marcial Gala's just talent and his storytelling.
0: Yeah, I just I pulled that up for a to be read
1: for me just now. Um, it's great. It's like a young Cuban soldier who believes he's the reincarnation of Cassandra from Troy. And mm. so he can see people's deaths. Um, And he goes to I believe it's Angola um to to die in a in a civil conflict with the Cuban military. Uh, that you sold me on it I will definitely it's wild (laughs) (laughs) and that yeah I cannot wait and then
0: uh, you 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 gave shout outs to a lot of writers who kind of influenced you and like were spiritual guides for you um and maybe you could re-shout them out now but I'm just curious like what you've been reading now and then what you've been reading what you were reading when you were writing this like to help kind of inspire the book
1: yeah um I believe it's so important Um, to shout out, you know, because your own book has literary DNA, Mm -hmm, right? There are different novels or poetry collections, whatever it is, movies, um, a short film that have woven your book into what it is. And I'll always shout out the God of small things. I will always shout out the dew breaker by Edwidge Danticat. Mm -hmm. Uh, was really, really important for me. Uh, Sula by Toni Morrison. A Hundred Years of Solitude, of course, because mm-hmm. how you know how can you do a magical realist novel without reading that first, right? It is the the standard, let's say. Um, and also Mrs. Dalloway. Mm. I yeah. love, love Mrs. Dalloway. And so seeing a character of, you know, a housewife, uh, she's a shut-in, yeah. but still yeah. a housewife. Uh, and... Also, Virginia Woolf's playing of perspective and time and it being as malleable as she wanted it to be was really inspiring. Yeah,
0: that's beautiful. How about books you've been enjoying lately? Just uh, maybe some people from your community.
1: Oh, my God. So uh, People Collide by Isle McElroy Mm, is mm -hmm. hilarious. It is yeah. so good. It's so well done. Um, I am getting through, and that that doesn't mean trudging through. It means sort of zipping through Vanessa Chan's uh, "The Storm We Made." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my Beautiful. God, she can move a plot. It mm-hmm. is wild. Yeah, I think it took uh, me like a day and a half to read the book. <laughs> yes, it yeah. is. Uh, the the way you know, I I don't think I'm terrible at plotting. But I can't make a plot move like that. She gives it such momentum. It is mm-hmm. so impressive, right? And for a debut, yeah. just, like, so well done.
0: Thank you so much to John Manuel Arias for joining the Day Beautiful podcast to talk about his debut novel, Where There Was Fire. You could find him on the internet at johnmanuelarias.com and on Instagram at johnmanuelarias. You can follow Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net and follow us on social media at Day Beautiful. And as always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful.